0: Press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Monday, July 25. Politicians and their staff are today flocking to Canberra for the first sitting of the 47th Parliament on Tuesday, where Anthony Albanese's Labour will take the government benches for the first time. A new batch of independents will be sworn in. It's going to be a big week.
1: We want action to occur in aged care reform and that is important legislation but so too is the legislation on our emissions target, the legislation for... 10 days paid domestic and family violence leave, the legislation to establish Jobs and Skills Australia. We'll be introducing at least 18 pieces of legislation in our first week in Parliament because we don't want to waste a day.
0: Labor is preparing a plan for its referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. The plan will be presented to Australians for feedback before Christmas, with a referendum likely as early as 2023. Inflation numbers out this week will give our clearest indication yet of whether Australia is heading for more mortgage pain. Unemployment's low, but so are wages, and the country's suffering an acute shortage of workers, especially in skilled professions. Next week, the government's convening a critical Jobs and Skills Summit in Canberra, Bringing business and unions together to work out solutions. One of the biggest challenges will be how to keep bush communities alive, with 85,000 positions vacant in rural areas. Coming up, a story of how some bush communities are keeping their towns and their way of life alive. And it all starts with rescuing the country pub. That's after the break. There's a remarkable cultural movement happening in Australia. It's out in the bush and it's local communities getting together to save their town's pubs. I'm joined by Greg Bearup, who's a writer with The Weekend Australian magazine. Greg, you're someone who spent a lot of time in pubs.
1: (laughs) I have, Claire. (laughs) And you come
0: from the bush. I
1: I come from the bush. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a little place they call the Paris of New England, (laughs) a place called Gyra, which is up in northern New South Wales. And we have two pubs, the top pub and the bottom pub. And those pubs were fairly kind of working men's pubs. I remember them because I was a paper boy. And when I was a kid, I would sell the afternoon papers in these pubs and they would be packed with working men. Mm. You know, the bars would be spilling out with shearers and abattoir workers, but that's changed over the years. And those pubs are kind of doing it pretty tough up until a couple of years ago, when a kid I went to school with a guy called Shane Davidson, he bought the the top pub and I think they've got rid of the pokies and they've turned it into a kind of a really lovely gastro pub. People go there, my mum and dad go there for dinner all the time, and it's kind of become a real part of the community again. Whereas lots of these pubs had lost that because they were unattractive to women.
0: But that's interesting. So, um, you know, we, we know that Australia has a long history of actively excluding women from drinking venues. It was illegal for women to drink in the front bar of, of many venues um, until not very long ago. Now, presuming
1: you eventually
0: get the right, For women to buy liquor in a public bar in Queensland, do you think that many Queensland women are going to exercise this right? I think quite a number are. Obviously, the day after it's made legal, there won't be a great movement of women into bars, although we'll see that there's some movement. Uh, But in 10 years' time, it'll be a different matter.
1: What's the difference now? The difference now with these pubs is that they're being designed by women, and so the pub that I went out to at Palamalawar, which is a little place outside of Mori had 450 people, and the old pub there had kind of gone further and further and further downhill so that not even the locals were there, like the they weren't holding their cutout parties, their harvest parties, in their local pub. They were going into Maury to do that because Women just didn't feel comfortable there, you know there was a couple of bar flies at the thing, and every time someone walked in, they'd turn around to look at them kind of thing and so there were four local mainly grain farmers and a local couple couple of local businessmen out there. they decided to buy this pub, and they have spent millions on it like and you <laughs> you can't believe that they would they would invest this much money in in a tiny little place like that. Until they sell, they're unlikely to ever get their money back, but it's an investment in their community. They wanted to create somewhere that was, was a destination pub and that's now happening. Bus loads of people are coming from Moree and Warialda and the surrounding towns to come and have, have lunch there of a weekend. But they also wanted to say to their workers, like these are big grain farmers, this is a big agribusiness, that they wanted to say to their workers, look, we're investing in this town. We're putting something back and we're putting something back here for you. And it's really worked and the people, they really appreciate it.
0: So it's crowdfunding at the start, right? They gather a small amount of money from the townsfolk?
1: There's various models. So in, in war it was just four local business people getting together and saying, look, we've had enough. We, if the pub closes, what's next? The school? The post office? Mm. And so it's kind of a, arresting that rural decline. In Sea Lake, where I went down to, there was 169 people put in money, more than a million dollars. And similar thing happened in Grungrong in New South Wales, where 100 people raised a million dollars to save their 18 75 pub. It was built in 1875. So it's kind of been this organic movement and it's happening all over Australia. I think there's going to be more of it. This will spur more people into action.
0: Up next, Greg's story continues and we'll hear about the parents trying to keep regions alive for their children. Another one been shot with a shotgun, and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. It's a growing movement in the regions, locals pitching in to save their pub in an effort to save their community. They're transforming decrepit old working man's pubs, establishment that hadn't had money spent on them in decades, into places where families feel welcome. I can imagine the reality TV adaptation already where the incredibly good-looking townsfolk get together and paint the pub and, and restore it. Yeah. So are they actually, as well as putting in cash, presumably they have to spend a lot of their time?
1: Exactly. Like So the, the pub down at Sea Lake is this magnificent old colonial era pub. It closed and it went up for auction because the publican skipped town and, let, and and still owed the council money. So the council sold the pub and these people got together and they bought the pub. But it was falling down like bits of concrete were falling, <laughs> falling off the top of the pub onto the main street. The gods of Grog were not pleased. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, they had an enormous task to do, but they had all these working bees where people would turn up with their tractors and their gear and their welders and all those people who've done that, they invested their money, they invested their time, they're now invested in this pub working. These were had descended into just drinking pubs, mm. like their dining rooms had closed. And so they were essentially just places for alcoholics, you know, mm. like, and women just didn't want to go in there. Yeah. So. That's been the big change. The big change is making these pubs community pubs that the community wants to live in.
0: Yeah. So how do you staff them? Um, We we know there's a labour shortage across Australia. There's there's a skills shortage, particularly in regional areas. Can they get people to staff these pubs? And can they get the goods to the pubs that they need?
1: They can get the goods. (laughs) I think, you know, if you talk to anyone in in hospitality, chefs are a bit of a nightmare. Mm. (laughs) And getting chefs and keeping chefs is really difficult. The pub down in Sea Lake, they've leased out their dining room. So they've got people in who run the dining room and they run it separately. So for this story, I spoke to the Regional Australia Institute and they were saying that there's a massive labour shortage in regional Australia. And it's grown 40,000 four years ago to 80,000 now. And It's because the inland rail's going ahead. There's all these massive solar farms that are employing lots of people, but also putting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in farmers' pockets for for the next 30 years. There's this great kind of rejuvenation in the Mm. bush, which city people I don't think know about, but it has caused this acute labour shortage. And so these little regional centres and country towns are all competing with each other, in a labour market. So you have to make your town more attractive and there's nothing sadder than a town with no pub.
0: You're a bush kid who moved to the Big Smoke. Mm -hmm. Is part of the challenge keeping, or is part of the opportunity, keeping the children of country families actually in the country to make a life there?
1: Yeah, so my dad is a big community stalwart in gara And he has been, he's spent his whole life kind of trying to provide opportunities where kids don't have to move away. And most kids do. But, you know, in lots of these regional areas now, like you know, if you go to a place like Orange, It's a buzzing town. It's like Surrey Hills or Carlton or, you know, one of those inner city Melbourne suburbs. One of the drivers behind this was a woman called Alison McClelland. And she and her husband live on a farm just outside of Sea Lake. And they have a 19-year-old son. And her motivation was that these kids were having to drive 80 kilometres away to have a beer. And she was kind of very fearful that, you know, that that they'd get involved in a car accident or something. You'd do something stupid. So there's 20 or 30 young kids in the town now who come into the pub. And she said, it's just open things up. It gives a vibrancy to the pub. And that's why these people are doing it. They're doing it for their kids.
0: Greg Bearup is a writer with The Weekend Australian magazine. Some special episodes from the front this week, we're heading to Canberra to bring you all the drama as politicians prepare to do battle. Labor's gearing up for fights on all fronts, and one of the first will be with the new expanded crossbench of Greens and Independents over whether its emissions reduction targets are aggressive enough. You can read all about that and the rest of our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au.
1: My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.